Jess Campbell, what is your favourite game? My favourite game is Ratchet and Clank. So my first ever games that I would have played as a very small child would have been like Super Mario Brothers and like the first ever Donkey Kong Country and stuff, you know, where they have the like 3D rendered, but they're flat. And mm. Those games are very hard. Uh, th- th- I-, I couldn't tell <laughs> you if they're hard or not, because I've not played, well, Super Mario Brothers mm. I have, but everything else I've not played at all. <laughs> yeah, well, um, that was my first ever games that I would have played. Mm. Um not very well, but the ones that I can actually like remember and that made me actually get into games was the PlayStation 2 games. Um, some of them, like Ratchet and Clank, obviously, mm. being the one I'm here to talk about. Um, but also like Jack and Daxter. Um, those would, be, would have been the favourite ones. What else is there? A lot of other games are on PlayStation 2. My mind has just like melded all of the PlayStation consoles together <laughs> because what I did for my PlayStation 3 is that I bought the like editions of PlayStation 2 games, but like <laughs> whenever they made high HD versions for the PlayStation 3, I was like, I'll just play those games again. Um, but I would, yeah, mostly Ratchet and Clank and um, Jack and Daxter, whereas my favorite would have been Ratchet and Clank and my brothers would have been Jack and Daxter. Oh, so a proper, not not just uh, <laughs> Jack and Daxter versus Ratchet and Clank type thing, it would have been a Naughty Dog versus Insomnia yeah, type Yeah, proper well. rivalry. Um, <laughs> and then PlayStation 3, after that, I would have played, um, I played Skyrim a lot, like an embarrassing amount of time I've spent playing Skyrim. Do, do you care to admit how many hours? <laughs> oh, I don't know, because there would have been times where I spent like a full day playing the game when I should have been studying mm. <laughs> for school. Um, but like, uh, I don't know if anyone remembers Lair on PlayStation 3, <gasps> which, <laughs> where they were like, oh, we have these cool motion controls now. You have to play the entire game with motion controls, and it sucked. <laughs> and I could never get past, like, Lair, uh, level 5 or whatever. Because my, my thing as a kid, I was always obsessed with dragons, so I was like, oh, I have to play dragons. Even though I missed Spyro because we didn't have a PlayStation 1, so I was like, Lair is my chance to play a game with dragons in it. And it sucked. <laughs> it was so sad. I feel like there's a picture starting to emerge here that you may <laughs> like dragons here between Lair and Skyrim. Yeah. Well, Skyrim, I was like, oh, no, you have to fight them. But there's obviously there's Parthenites and stuff. So that was my, my fix. <laughs> Which, I don't know, maybe it's a surprise that Ratchet and Clank is my fave, considering. There's very little dragons <laughs> in that. Yes, that's true. Wow. Like, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> that, 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 like the fact that, 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 that there's no dragons in that, I can honestly see why that's your favorite game. It's, it's a palate cleanser <laughs> from dragons. A cleanser? Well, I was proper obsessed. Like I had like all of the Dragonology books and a whole bunch of other dragon-related content and I would have read all, I read Aragon. 
And in hindsight, Eric was not very good. But <laughs> I really liked it when I was little. Um, and I would have read... I mean, there's just not a lot of good dragon content, which is unfortunate whenever you really like them. There's, there's lots of fantasy content that's adjacent that is really good. What what other sort of games sort of stick out to you in that regard then that do like have have dragons that do them very well? Ooh, that do them well? I don't know. I mean, I am probably putting myself to shame here, and that I've very played very little of Dragon Age. I've only played like the first bit of Inquisition, and and that's it. Um, Fair. Oh goodness. Are there any other games with dragons in them that are good? It's just not that I can remember. I mean, to be fair, like with Dragon Age Inquisition, like it's 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 a great game of what I played of it, but it's just I couldn't get far in it. But not because of dragons in it, but it's because arachnophobia. Oh Spiders. really? Oh, that's really unfortunate for most fantasy games. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's. I'm frankly surprised the amount of time I put in Skyrim considering the amount of spiders in that game mm-hmm. like i'm talking like not not as much time as a lot of passionate people but like so we're, we're recording this in uh mid-september and we're about two months out from skyrim anniversary edition coming out um another one another one <laughs> another fucking skyrim re- well todd won't be happy until we all own like six copies of the same game yeah <laughs> Here's the thing, I said in a preview one time, 10 years ago, when Skyrim was first coming out, for VG247, I said Skyrim would be the RPG of forever. I did not mean it in that fucking way, that Bethesda. That was a monkey's paw of a statement. I did not mean it in that way, Bethesda. You did not need to take me literally at my own word. Oh no, you're the one that brought the curse upon us. I, I, it's I, your fault. I've cursed us all. Todd will never let Skyrim die. He will, he will never, ever let Skyrim die. Mm-hmm. Even even a year out from Starfield, he'll put a, uh, another edition of Skyrim and say, have that, then Starfield, then another edition of Skyrim, and then Tess 6. Then we'll kill Skyrim. You I, think so? You think that'll finally be the death? <laughs> he'll put out one more version of Skyrim between <laughs> Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6, and that'll be it. <laughs> so that'll be fun. Um... What 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 other games were you playing when you were starting out? Like, can you remember? Uh, in terms of starting out, I honestly I would have like had a couple like not very many games, but a couple that I was super obsessed with. So mm. it would have been Ratchet and Clank, and it would have been Jack and Daxter, and then like the next generation of that was Skyrim, and then the next generation of that was um. Well, I would have played Resistance, which is another Insomniac game, mm. but. I played the cooperative version with my brother because that was my favorite. Oh, that's Resistance um, too, isn't it? I think so. I think it Cause, might be. Because Resistance yeah. 1 was uh, mm-hmm. single player and 40 player online multiplayer, whereas Resistance 2 was single player, 60 people multiplayer, which feels so odd to talk about now considering how much of a... 60 people. 60 at the time was like, oh my God, they're doing uh-huh. 60. Now, 60? <laughs> Fucking rookie numbers. I just realized that I forgot to talk about the fact that there are Ratchet and Clank games on the PlayStation 3. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry, we'll get to that stuff eventually. There's no games on the PlayStation There's like There's loads of play- Ratchet and Clank games on the PlayStation 3. And then there's the PlayStation 4 one, and that is the PlayStation 5 one. Which I confess I haven't played yet because I don't own a PlayStation 5. To be fair, who owns a PlayStation 5? <laughs> yeah. He says, sitting across from Jess... 
owning two PlayStation what? 5s. I own two PlayStation 5s. What do you own PlayStation 2 5? <laughs> You've got me confused. There's too many numbers. <laughs> I own, own two PlayStation Fives. I own one for the bedroom, and I own one for the office for the office space for streaming uh, and review work uh, for Play Diaries, uh, which I am using right now for Deathloop. Um, so mm-hmm. that's 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 been a fun trek in itself. Well, that's a good excuse to have too. <laughs> Uh, apparently, according not to my sister-in-law, but that I digress. <laughs> I di- I digress. Um. Well, that's interesting because that is also related to like other games that I was playing as an adult. Mm. So like once I had a computer that was good enough to animate on, it was good enough to play games on. Mm. So then I would have got into like um, Undertale. I think was the game that made me be like, oh, video games have mechanics, because <laughs> it was like <laughs> this sounds really dumb, but as a kid. I was used to playing all of those like mascot platformer games. So my brain was just like, ah, oh, video games are movies that are interrupted by segments of jumping and or shooting. <laughs> but then games like Undertale and also Shadow of the Colossus, which I got into after I watched a Let's Play of it. And I was like, wow, it's a video game. That Those were the games that I was like, oh, story and mechanics and art, they are all interconnected. Video games are their own medium. And that was what made me really, really want to get into them. Um, so whenever I was, I was doing an animation degree Mm. and our third year was a placement year. Mm. So I really wanted to get into video games and a couple of people from my class were going to start their own like project or whatever. And then that kind of fell through because a bunch of them got jobs and we were like, oh no. So I did a little bit of work in the animation industry and just generally being an intern and then a coffee box game started in the same year that I was doing my placement uh, and they put up an advertisement looking for artists slash animators is mm. what they put it as so I in my email to them I was like ah I'm an artist slash animator and they were like oh an animator and I was like uh sure <laughs> but I wasn't super confident as an animator I'd only started that year doing it um but they specified hand-drawn animation so I was like oh I'm really passionate about that I'm not good at it but I'm passionate about it so I went home and like did a bunch of tests and stuff and mm. basically taught myself really, really, really quickly. Um, and they were like, okay, good. And I think they were just impressed that, that I learned so fast. And then basically like my first couple of weeks for Coffee Box was learning how to animate. And the way that I did it, because uh, the game that we were working on at the time was a mobile game. Um, like a basically like I don't it wasn't an endless runner but it was a runner mm. so I was like doing run cycles and doing like the character had magic so they were doing like magic type moves to like move the environment around mm. and so I was like in a Legend of Korra animation and there was a presentation by the lead animator of Skullgirls that I would tab through and copy the frames to learn how to do smear frames and learn how to do holds and different kinds um, and then once I was doing that for a while uh box were like hey do you want to learn how to rig and i was like no <laughs> but uh i i ended up learning how to rig to do 2d at the start it started off doing um rigged traps for the mobile game and then once we moved on from that it never got released because it, it kind of had passed the the boom of mobile games and we were like well there's no point in us releasing this it's not going to do very well um so we moved on to another game that was going to be like a roguelike um you create a mech and then you fight monsters so i had to create rigs that were modular so that you could swap the parts of the robot out in order to have different 
attachments to fight the monsters, and then I had to learn how to rig the monsters with all like the flashy stuff. Um, and then what else? I'm trying to remember exactly from then. Uh, I went back to university, <laughs> did my final year, did a game of Grumps animated, came back to Coffee Box um, as art director on the next project, which is going to get announced pretty soon. Um, and I've been art director for like three years now. Hmm. Awesome. <laughs> long-winded story i apologize it is it is slightly <laughs> long-winded but it, it works it works it really does it works um i was gonna say something there i suppose about. i should explain that coffee box is attached to known youtuber bellular gaming <laughs> <laughs> so i also had to get into world of warcraft as part of my job <laughs> i had to learn a lot about this game that i didn't know that much about in the first place that does have dragons in it and they are <laughs> <laughs> How the fuck did we miss that? Actually, has really nice designs. I like <laughs> them. I was going to say as well, like having to learn animation in such it was such a crash course by the sounds of it. Yeah, pretty much. And also, I mean, it was a crash course that I had to deliver to myself because, like, I was working with two games students that were like doing programming and stuff and they were like i don't know how animation works which probably worked to my favor because then i was like this is a good animation and they were like okay <laughs> we'll, we'll take your word for it um but i don't know eventually i think I, I got good maybe not right at the start but eventually get good at animation i think that's sort of the gist of it talk of your favorite game ratchet and clank and you mentioned how you started playing um before ratchet and clank spyro um well how, how did you find that initial? how did i find what sorry? spyro i didn't play spyro until oh. i was an adult oh right yeah oh you played the we, remaster we yes the remaster because i skipped spyro ah. because we didn't have a playstation one um so my first ever Insomniac game was, was, Ratchet, and was Ratchet and Clank, yeah. Ah. And then it's only in hindsight going back to um, Spyro as, as an adult and like seeing like sound effects and stuff that they used across the games and stuff. It's pretty interesting. Um, what attracted you firstly to Ratchet and Clank? Like what was it that sort of made you go, wow, I want to play that? Um, I mean, my parents bought it for us. So we didn't, I didn't even like choose it off the shelf or anything. Ah. But I definitely, like, I really liked the, um, it was just so characterful. Mm. Um, like, the, I really liked the designs of everything. And, I mean, I, I have opinions on how, like, the designs have changed over the years and things. But um, as a kid, the things that drew me to it, mm. I don't know, I just, I liked the characters. And then, as a, as a budding young artist, I, like, would have try to design my own characters based on the Ratchet and Clank style and on their like design sensibilities and stuff. So it, it definitely had a massive influence on 
me starting to draw and starting to make my own characters. Hmm. Um, obviously, I liked Lombaxes, as everybody did. Um, <laughs> um, there's definitely not specific kinds of art of those on the internet. Definitely not. No, the internet is a pure and wholesome it's place. <laughs> oh, no. Um, Do not look up Oh, no. I need to bleep that out again. <laughs> not safe for podcasts. Not safe for podcasts, not safe for work, not safe for life. <laughs> I think that's abundantly clear. <laughs> um, um, it also was the first game that I was ever good at. Because mm. I was, we got it at around the age where I was, I think I was, when was this, 2001? I was six, but then um, over the years I played it over and over and over mm. again and got good at it. I used to challenge myself to see how far I could get without using any weapons. Like, because the whole game is that you collect weapons and gadgets and stuff, but you have your wrench as, like, your main thing, so I'd just go through the game trying to hit stuff. Ratchet and Clank, <laughs> the dark souls of young children <laughs> of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the early to mid-2000s. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love how you basically use the term characterful there mm. because like yeah because like these games they're so full of character not just necessarily the characters themselves but even some of the worlds like they feel like characters in themselves yeah that's 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 a good point it's like the fact that like all of the different planets have their own and um, they're like completely different mm. and they all have different um environments and a lot of them have different enemies as well like i think the first game at least they had specific enemies for each um, planet where they would have like um, like there's a my favorite one in the first game is the logging planet Eudora and they have a whole bunch of robots that are designed for cutting down trees and they're only in that one world which must have been so much work um, maybe it's more work nowadays than it would have been back mm. then um, but it it's it's so much like attention to detail I think to like have these constant content context specific enemies for this world it, it makes me think of nintendo design and to a lesser extent titanfall 2 mm -hmm. in which you're only using certain elements for a certain period of time yeah and then you don't see them again like for the rest of the game basically yeah um i mean they even did that with like background things like certain like every single planet has stuff moving in the background whether it's like ships or traffic mm -hmm. in the city or there's also, like, creatures and stuff that they'll have flying past. I think they have, like, one really low-poly pterodactyl, because I think I remember listening to some of the developers talking about it, where they have, like, one low-poly pterodactyl that looks terrible really close up, but they put it in all of the levels. Um, I don't know if, if it was a joke or not, but... The way you put it, it almost sounds like it was put it as a joke. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> um, like... So... Talk to me about the, then the story. Like, how, mm -hmm. how, how, how did you find that initially? Ooh, the story. It's hard to remember what I thought of it as a kid because I think as a child I was just like, ooh, conversation, colours are moving. Um, <laughs> but as an adult going back and, and playing it, especially in context to the more modern games and other games, um, I think it's really interesting because it's so full of character development, which... Does it really happen very much in video games, I think, and certainly in compared to the reboot of the first game. And I think, I haven't played it yet, obviously, but the, the one that just came out, hmm. um, Ratchet, in the first game, he's kind of an asshole. But I think that's nice. <laughs> that sounds really bad. But if you have Ratchet and Clank both 
be nice and like immediately be friends, mm. then there's no there's nothing interesting there. It's there's no conflict. I think it's really interesting and challenging to young people to like have to play as a character that maybe they don't really like that much. Um, and then like Ratchet's motivations toward the game change and they're different to Clank's and they kind of have in the cutscenes they have to have conversations where they're bickering about where to go next mm. and then you're, the player is presented with the choice about where they want to go next and maybe there's not like a massive um, consequence or it doesn't have a massive effect mm. in the game but it's still I think a really good way to use that interaction mm. um, but it's just like Ratchet starts out as a complete asshole and it's um, I think that's really interesting because then he has space to develop because in all of the games the through line is like oh Ratchet wants to be a hero but in the first game he wants to be a hero because he wants to be a celebrity because he mm. really likes Captain Cork um, but then he's like street smart so that he can catch on to Captain Cork being not a, a good role model and attempting to kill them because he works for the bad guy mm. and then but Clank is the one that is naive because he was literally born five minutes ago mm. and that's a really interesting dynamic that doesn't really exist in future games it does because ratchet develops as a character in the next couple of games and obviously has to get nicer <laughs> and his motivations become more pure um which is good if you start from a place of mm. having not been that but then whenever the new game is like he's just like oh i want to be a hero mm. why i don't know i'm a fan of the heroes and it's like okay that's, that's, that's basically the equivalent of me going up to Tony Stark saying, I want to be a superhero just like you because you're Tony Stark. Yeah. And like, I want to be the one that clicks the fingers and sends Thanos <laughs> off go, and go, I am Iron Man. Uh -huh. Bang! Yeah. Like, like, there's, like, there's also an element to it that makes me think of, um, you mentioned the character development. It's, it's, yeah. it's. My favorite thing. It's uh, like like in because like you say, Ratchet is an asshole at the start of the game. And bear in mm -hmm. mind, like I should probably disclose, I have not played the original Ratchet and Clank <laughs> in God knows how long at this point. You're talking at least nearly twenty odd years at this point. I cannot mm -hmm. believe it's fucking twenty odd years. Jesus Christ, God help me. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm so fucking old. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a good point that you bring up because like like you say I, I do remember like Ratchet was a massive asshole and Captain Quark was like the same uh sort of happy go lucky hero on the outside like this mm -hmm. this big massive superhero that everybody loves because like and then uh uh on the background like ha ha I'm actually working for the back the baddies here like mm -hmm. yeah and I remember Quark just spoilers by the way even though it's basically a twenty year old it's game. A really old game. <laughs> Quark just basically becomes then subsequently a good guy. And mm -hmm. and it comes back then to that sort of character development because like Ratchet like you say, he has this he has the space to learn not not necessarily just to be an asshole, but mm -hmm. just to generally be a good person. And he do, he's not able to do that unless he has somebody like Clank on him. Because like mm -hmm. if he doesn't have Clank, he's yeah. he's basically just gonna still be the same old asshole Ratchet. Yeah, of course. Like it makes it, it makes the pairing so important because they, they keep each other on whatever path they need to be on. Um, and I think it's it's really like it's really effective storytelling in a video game, I think. If you have a character that has maybe um, muddled motivations, like they want to do stuff out of revenge, but then through the actions that the player is taking as they play the game, they change their minds through the things that, hap that are happening and that you're mm. interacting with. Um, 
Um, trying to remember. I think Captain Cork is a good point as well because if you have Captain Cork is this kind of hero character that is clearly very hollow, and then you have Ratchet who aspires to him. Um, I it, think feel, it Cap- feels very fake. Yeah, well, Captain Gork, I think, is maybe like a vision of what Ratchet could have been if he continued to be a, the worst. Mm. But then you have the moral compass of Clank, who is an important character then. It's not just like, oh, they're a duo for the sake of it. He's important because he, well, he's important mechanically because of the gliders and stuff like that. But mm. he's also important characterly. And then that makes him a good duo. And it means that there's like a progression and an arc throughout the game. And then at the end, you know, it's satisfying when they come together because there were times when they didn't get along. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I just think that's good. And that is maintained through like the next couple of games where you'll have them argue about stuff. Um, or like in the in the third game, there's um, some like, the third game, the PlayStation 3 game, um, there's some stuff where... Like, Clank is aware of some, like, magic stuff in the background that only he can see, and Ratchet just doesn't take him seriously. And that's important for character. I think I, and then later yeah. on, they have to resolve it whenever Ratchet is proved wrong. Um, I just think that's really good. I think it's really good to put stories in your video games. I, I remember this. I think I remember this, because, like, that, and we'll touch upon the, the, the games in proper detail, the other games in proper detail in mm-hmm. a moment, but, like... I remember um, that sort of PS3 trilogy and what you were saying about Clank's sort of mm-hmm. uh, sort of secret power. I think that was basically the massive sort of anger point of that PS3 trilogy of yeah, it was. Tools, uh, tools of Destruction, Quest for Booty, greatest subtitle for a game I love ever. Quest for Booty. Loads of people hate that game, but <laughs> I love it. And uh, I told the game director that that was my favourite Ratchet Clank game. <laughs> I did that. I want to talk about that in a second. <laughs> but um, what was the other one? The third one in the show? Crack and Time. Uh, crack and Time, right, yes. Yeah, and crack then there's a couple of other like, spin-off-y ones and multiplayer ones. That, that, that was one of those that were, I didn't really sort of mm-hmm. pay attention to because like, it feels like at that point that sort of main trilogy was sort of done at that point. Yeah, I think so too. It like tied up the story really, really nicely. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll touch upon those in, 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 in a minute anyway. Um, but like... You mentioned how uh, character development is massively important in terms of mm-hmm. to you anyway in terms of how you want to see a story progress and Insomniac does character development very well I think for the yeah. most part especially I think Spider Man as well given an Insomniac example it's not it's obviously not much crank but given yes. an Insomniac uh, sort of re- response Spider Man games still feel like Insomniac games yes um, I think and. This is going to be a spoiler, even though uh, <laughs> Spider-Man is three years old at this point, um, but not as old as Ratchet and Clank. You see the character development in Peter Parker. Um, like, he is... He's, he, at the start of the game, it's not mm-hmm. like he's bitten by the spider. He is Spider-Man at this point. He is massively absorbed in being Spider-Man, hence why him and Mary Jane are no longer together. Um trying to sort of hide the secret uh, from his Aunt May and all that there. And he comes to this reckoning at the end of the game where he basically has to... Like, where basically Doc Ock knows he's Peter, uh, Peter's Spider-Man and, and then obviously the scene with him and Aunt May like at the very end of the game, which was genuinely one of the most incredible scenes I've... I've seen in a game in a long time because it felt a well-earned ending and then at the end itself like him and Mary Jane get back together it feels like 
by the, by the start of the game, he's too self-absorbed to care about anything else but Spider-Man. Now at the end, he's not as absorbed. He has Mary Jane back. He's teaching a new Spider-Man, basically, Miles Morales, mm -hmm. which we see in the game that came after. Basically, I think, Insom I think for that, Insomniac does deserve a lot of credit for how it handles character development. It may, it may not get it right all the time, but for the most part, it gets it right a lot of the time, mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah, I think so. And like character arcs are such an important storytelling device to video games because it's an interactive medium mm -hmm. and story arcs are literally about uh, like change mm -hmm. and affecting change in the context of the world that you're playing yeah. in. So I, th I don't know, they feel really interactive, I think. Like character, like I think, like you said, character development certainly feels a lot more important in games because they mm -hmm. are interactive. That's not to say other mediums can't do character development, they can and they do them well, but like it feels a lot more worthwhile and meaningful when you're doing it as part of a game. I don't yeah, like if you're literally affecting the change and the character development, for, for sure. Um, I mean, in, in some night games, I, I don't think the problem, like, I, I promised my coworkers that I wouldn't come on and rant about <laughs> Ratchet and Clank, but I think the problem with the more modern games, like the reboot and the more recent one, I haven't like um, played it myself, so I can't comment entirely. But I think they're sort of perceived as kids' media, and also the fact that it's a Sony flagship. So you've got the corporate influence, and you have the fact that a lot of... I'm, I'm saying, I think, in animation and games both, media that's aimed at kids tends to be almost like patronising, where it's like it can't you have to sand off all the sharp edges um, in order to make it more palatable and therefore more marketable to a wider audience. Mm -hmm. Whereas like the first Ratchet and Clank was just like, I don't know, let's just make a game. It wasn't even written by writers. The writers were the animators and then they just kind of like cobbled it together in less than a year, which you can't really do nowadays, but that's what they did. Um, and that ends up creating a much more authentic product, mm. especially because the first game is all like, it's about, it's got this three line of capitalism bad. And then like the current Ratchet and Clank games are, we are capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh no, what's happened? Because like you have to pay for everything. The like the baddie is the CEO man who's like destroying other planets to make his own planet. Then he then later plans to destroy. And his backstory is that he polluted his own home planet to justify this thing. And that's like that's just like big corporate things through and through. Big and corporate energy. Criticizing them. And then obviously that takes sort of a backseat whenever we start to get into the more character-driven stories in the PlayStation 3 games mm. because they're like, oh, what's Ratchet's backstory? Because suddenly we've decided that he's the only Lombax, even though we had one in the second game. We're going to pretend that didn't happen. And <laughs> that caused a huge debate, by the way. And <laughs> so Ratchet and Clank was like my gateway into online art communities. And the fandom was very small, huh. but it was still really... <laughs> You, obviously you get fanatics of things there was this constant argument of whether or not female lombaxes had tails because um angela didn't have a tail and ratchet did and then there was i don't know what it was i think it was a crack in time there was like a radio snippet of these like hosts because in ratchet and clank a crack in time you could like fly through the galaxy in your ship and you could listen to the radio and you could change the radio channels hmm. but there was this snippet of these hosts that went didn't you know 
that female Lombaxes don't have tails. And then everyone was like, what? So there was just this debate in the fandom of like people who would have their, their female Lombax OCs and some would draw them with tails and some would draw them without. And it was just this constant battle over this one tiny minute detail in the entire series <laughs> that people just wouldn't let go. And then whenever Rivet was revealed and she had a tail, everyone was like, ha! See? Ha! I knew it! <laughs> exactly. Whenever Vindication! Exactly. So it was just this big... Oh, it was so funny. It, it seemed really important when you're 14 on DeviantArt being like, no, they have to have tails because it doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't they not have them? <laughs> it's really bad. Um. <laughs> well, I forget where we were. That was a big tangent. That was, that, that was a tangent. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I was actually going to say, like, well, how long ago was this when you started getting into the art fandom side of things? Oh, um, I would think between, like, the ages of 13 and 14 were the times where I really started to get online. Um, cause I actually have like lifelong friends that I made from that time. Like part of the reason why I decided to talk about Ratchet and Clank today is because it was super influential on my like friend groups. And the reason that I have some friends are because of Ratchet and Clank and the fact that we were in the fandom and we befriended each other through that. Like my current partner, um, we started dating like at the start of the, the pandemic. Um, we were friends for like 10 years before and we, um, friends because of Ratchet and Clank hmm. so that's pretty neat I can be like hello Ratchet and Clank you're the reason that I have my current partner that's pretty cool um so it was just I've forgotten what I was saying <laughs> I got distracted thinking of my other stuff um but yeah no Ratchet and Clank was like my first experience of community online because I would have drawn I was never someone who did a lot of fan art um, I could, I'm very specific about the things that I, that can hold my interest. Um, and a lot of that is to do with like my own characters and my own things that I've made up. But Ratchet and Clank was this like little sandbox of things that I could make my own stuff and put in. Mm. And then I could share them with the community because they were all interested in Ratchet and Clank is the thing that they're interested in. But I didn't need to draw like just specific fan art of Ratchet and Clank in order to get people interested. Um... It's not, I mean, probably, I think the fandom does exist still, but I don't spend that much time on DeviantArt anymore. Mm. Um, but it was a really nice um, foray into that, I think, especially as like a really small pool of people to get to know mm. and a really nice experience of very small, tight-knit community online, mm. which doesn't really exist anymore the way that social media is. But mm. um, So... I'll, I'll touch upon back onto the art itself, like in proper mm-hmm. detail in a second. But like, um, the other thing that sort of stuck out for me in, in terms of Ratchet and Clank is just how bad shit it is in terms of <laughs> its gameplay and game design. Because, because, yeah. and especially ties back into to an extent, uh, Clank as well. Because, mm-hmm. like you say, you've got the glider and all that there, and the the weapons, yeah, the weapons <laughs> are fucking stupid incarnate. Mm-hmm. Stupidity incarnated, but in a good way. Um, <laughs> I think that's sort of one of Ratchet and Clank's sort of big strong points is that yeah. they know they can be ridiculous while telling something mm-hmm. serious as well. Like, like you say, like um, with sort of the capitalist aspect of it. Like, um, but also sort of get away with doing the most stupidest, stupidest of stuff, and especially with the weapons. Like, talk to me about a little bit about. Um, some of the game design that sort of 
mm-hmm. help sort of uh, tie into Ratchet and Clank a wee bit and weapons side as well, anyway? Uh, I mean, the weapons are definitely like a core selling point. Like, I think that was one of the premises they, that they had. So, like, the anecdote that I had about the game director. So, like, a couple of years ago, um, one of my coworkers, Thomas, and I went down south to attend a workshop that was organized by Brenda Romero because she was friends with Brian Algar, who's been the game director of Ratchet and Clank literally since it started. Um, and he was telling us things about, like, the core design pillars, about, like, the things that have to be in a Ratchet and Clank game to make it a Ratchet and Clank game. And one of them is the, like, um, the weapons and gadgets and things. Um, one of them is Captain Quark. <laughs> Captain Quark has to be in every game. Um, <laughs> um, and then I think the way that they described it was that it's, like, a planet hopping type thing. So it's, like, you need to be able to... The, the planet hopping aspect has to be in it, and the weapons and gadgets aspect has to be in it. Um, and then the like very like the well it became more of a shooter it started as a platformer and then became more of a shooter as they um, progressed um, and then the, the very very light RPG elements of like the leveling up and stuff that weren't in the first game but mm. were in the, the future ones um, but I don't know the like weapons and gadgets weren't always like a super selling point for me because I would have favourites and then there would be other ones that I wouldn't use as much and then, obviously, future games incentivize you to use everything because they're like, if you use it, it levels up. And then once it's leveled up, you never use it because <laughs> you want to use the other ones that aren't leveled up yet. Um, but, I don't know. I remember the first... I don't know if it's as much of a thing in future games, but I remember very distinctly in the first one, every single weapon had this very specific sound that it played. And whenever you equipped it, it would like build itself in your hands in this really interesting, satisfying way. Um, and then obviously they're really punchy and they all have different fields for how they, um, for how you use them. Like they feel different and that's always pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what would be your favorite weapons? Um, it depends on the game. I think everyone loves the Rhino, but, um, I always like the weapons that do like area of effect damage. Um, what's well, in the first game there's no strafing and there's very limited aiming okay. so it sucks trying to use things that go like long distance and mm. um, I really like the pyrocitor which is like the flamethrower in the first game um, the reboot had something called the pixelator which like turned your enemies into pixels and I can't remember if you only got that if you pre-ordered the game or not I don't remember because they, they did start doing things like that, where they were like, you get special armor or a special weapon if you pre-order. Mm. Um, other games. Always the rocket launcher. The rocket launcher is always satisfying. Mm. Um, every game has like some variation of it. Um, and I think every game has some variation of the blaster, and the blaster is always not as good. Mm. Um, yeah, hard to beat the wrench as well. Oh, there was one that my um, my dad's favorite weapons in Tills of Destruction was the razor claws, where you have these claws and then it like, I didn't like them because they made Ratchet like jump forward when he used them and that was always very stressful for me. I was like, I'm going to go off the edge. Um, let, let, let's talk of your sort of uh, alma mater, let's say, your alma mater subject, <laughs> art. Um, uh-huh. Like... The Ratchet and Clank games, it doesn't matter if it's from 20 odd years ago to now with Rift Apart on the PS5. They're very beautiful, colourful mm. games. Why is it that 
they, they just basically stand out in the way that they do in terms of art anyway like not just necessarily in terms of world design anyway because like some of the worlds mm -hmm. in some of these games are just very vivid but yeah. also in the characters anyway well, I think the games have persisted for so long because the art design is so good. Um, like, there's, like... I don't know if they've only been there since PlayStation 3, um, but, like, there's, like, a pair of designers where they, they call themselves Creature Box, which is uh, Greg Baldwin and Dave Girton, I think, are their names. And they were massively influential on a lot of my art tour whenever I was an older teenager. Um, and they do a lot of the design, and they have... Uh, at least the character design and some of the like world design um, and they're just so like shapely and interesting and the way they use colour is really like pleasing to the eye um, so I think the reason that it even has existed for so long and they're still making games is because the visuals are so good um, it is my personal opinion the PlayStation 3 games look the best because um, the PlayStation the 4 and 5 they have the like fur technology and I'm like, it's too much. You don't need that. It's fine. You, you don't need to have really dedicated fur technology. It's okay. I was just going to say as well, because like for the PlayStation 2 games, like they're very cartoony. Yeah. For PlayStation 3, yeah, there's a sort of mix between the two of if it being cartoony, but also be, being realistic. Yeah. PS4, PS5, they look incredible, but like you say, it loses also, um, no, well, that doesn't. I mm. know you didn't say that, but I was, I was clear about to put words in my. I apologize, but um, <laughs> but um, but that sort of fur technology, it, yeah. it, it helps add a realistic layer to the games. Uh, at least as of late, uh, certainly in Rift Apart, anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, Rift Apart is where they really like nailed it. And I think like they need to though. And I think I th <laughs> don't get me wrong, the, these games look incredible, especially yeah. Rift Apart. But it also feels like as a result, it loses some of that cartoon aspect yeah it. i think it loses some of its charm like i have a beef with the like modern ratchet design where i'm like he's got too many teeth he doesn't need that many teeth they're so small in his face it's so weird so it's I like <laughs> there's too much detail and i think that's worse for game design because i tended to find in playing the reboot i couldn't tell what were projectiles and what weren't because uh, there were so many smoke effects um, it was so hard to tell what anything was because I, I remember play, starting playing Tools of Destruction for the first time ever and being like, wow, this is beautiful. And like the upgrade in animation, which is what I told Brian Allgaier, the game director, he was like, what's your favorite part of the games? And I was like, ah, the animation. And he was like, he doesn't work on the animation. How, how could he connect to that? But I remember playing Tools of Destruction for the first time and moving the, the joystick and Ratchet's run cycle being way better than it was in the second games um, and the PlayStation 2 games. And that was just so, like the neurons in my brain just lit up and the fact that there was specular and everything was shiny and beautiful. But then they've like kicked it up to 11 in the PlayStation 4 and 5 games. But then I'm like, I don't know where to look. Like your eye isn't being directed because there's just so much going on and there's so much detail. Um, maybe it's a different experience playing Rift Apart, but I remember watching it going, where is everything? I, I'm so confused. There's so much going on. Mm. Um, it's it. I think that's fine maybe for a movie sometimes. But I think for a video game, you need to be extremely clear about what it is. Because anything like that makes you worse at the game that isn't your own lack of skill, I think, is not good game design. Where it's just like, if I can't see projectiles, 
that's not very good. If your enemies don't do enough telegraphing that they're going to attack, that's not very good either. Um, and that's something that I think is lacking in the modern games. I mean, I'm not going to say that I know better than they do, but in my personal experience playing, I felt a lot more in the older games that if I did a whoopsie and died, it was my own fault. Whereas in the for in the reboot, I found myself very frustrated that I was like, but I didn't see that. I didn't see where that was. Um, so I don't think... Because I remember whenever Rift Apart was announced and the trailer came out and everyone was going, this looks like a Pixar movie, this is next generation. And it's like, okay put detail in specific places <laughs> and not everywhere because otherwise it gets really confusing mm. like the design is still amazing hmm. but i think there's like one or two shaders too many like don't, don't design me with it it's okay just just it's just, okay. just slightly just yeah. like minusculely yeah. slightly yeah. tone it down just Ratchet doesn't need individual tiny little teeth in his cat face <laughs> how many teeth do you think he has <laughs> too many they're too small ballpark is for me like do you think it's in the well, hundreds I, I don't know i just i i remember looking at his design and it's it's just not as appealing as the playstation 3 version playstation 2 version is like it's okay <laughs> ratchet, ratchet is okay he definitely had a glow up between playstation 2 and 3 um but then in playstation 4 his eyes are smaller he's fuzzy so all of his like the appeal of his detail so in in character design we you talk about something called appeal which is um just general like likability and it's nice to look at mm. um so playstation 4 and 5 ratchet he just like that likability is almost like obstructed by the fur and his eyes are smaller and just like the shape of his body isn't as good oh that sounds really weird <laughs> <laughs> i think but, we're oh, no, discovering oh, something here oh, no <laughs> but no it's just like it's not as good um I promise I wouldn't rant on here, I am. Rant, rant, I that's the point, rant. I need to be able to justify and back up my statements instead of just being like, it's not good. <laughs> it, it is good, but it's, I think that they've over-designed a little bit too much. Like, pump back, the PlayStation 3 version was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, you sort of alluded to it there a few Old times. Old yells at clouds. <laughs> Old woman yells at clouds. Yeah, these kids getting their... For detail and their high definition shaders and <laughs> <laughs> oh god I, I can honestly picture it now about what 30 um, 40 years in the future like from where we like because we're literally sitting here opposite one another um in belfast just talking about it and just like and i can just imagine just yeah. just just going like how dare you yeah. do this injustice you done my boy <laughs> what, have, uh, what have you done with my boy? You massacred my boy. You massacred my boy. <laughs> yeah, a hard I cope in real life where there's lots of detail in real life. No, it's fine. Um, you, Just you, be a bit more specific. Yeah. That's, all, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Um, you alluded to it uh, once or twice there, but um, the goalie talk from uh, Brian Algar, yeah. um, like... This was actually so so full disclosure for anyone listening. Like um we so just before season five aired, we announced the season five lineup as part of the NA Game Awards, which I hosted. Um this is not a humble brag, by the way. Or is it? No it's it's a brag, but it's not humble. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um anyway, that night um we had the after party 
and Jess was part of it. And oh, no. We, oh, no. We're, we're going there. We're going there. Um, and I was not very sober. To be fair, <laughs> were we all sober that night? So. Were we all? No. So, like, to be fair, I'm I'm, I'm out myself here. Um, the, 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 the reason I, I'm, I'm mentioning this is because the reason why I wanted Jess on on the season, not just because of the all Ireland theme, is, is also because she put forward an excellent case to talk of Ratchet and Clank. And part of that was the um this the the, 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 the thing with Brian Algier. Um like um uh, the workshop even um mm. that's the word I was looking for. Um talk to me what was that like? Like sort of uh going to that? Um I mean it, I thought it was great. It was sort of a, a bit of a mixed bag. Because we, so Thomas and I went down to Glasgow to this talk that was organised by Brenda Romero. Glasgow? And, uh, no, not Glasgow, Galway. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't even know my own fucking geography. Um, <laughs> God. Um, but yeah, so it was organised by Brenda Romero and she was there. And I was completely starstruck by Brenda Romero. And he like worked in D&D and all. And I was like, oh my God. Um, and the way that she's like so cool and casual all the time. So, but... It was organised by like Screen Ireland or something, but it was an organisation that was super close to film, which is a problem we have up here as well, where we have our main like funding body for um, anything to do with entertainment is NI Screen, which is super movie film, mm. um, and they don't know that much about games. So a lot of the turnout for this workshop down south weren't from video game people. They were from like... Um, writers and directors and stuff from film and short film and TV and stuff. Um, so you would have, like, there was this, I don't want to be mean, there was this one person that introduced themselves as a director. He was like, I'm a director, short form for now. And I was like, oh, no. Um, and then Brenda Romero was just really cool, like, sitting there, like, Brenda Romero, game designer. And I was like, oh. Um, but Brenda Algar himself was this really, really nice guy. He clearly was, like, really knowledgeable about what he was doing. Um, and it was, like, a workshop, like, interactive. Like, he had divided everyone up into groups and had them work on, like, a game idea. And he would walk us through the steps of, like, this is... Um, so you start off with... I think it was starting with a story and then, like, doing the game part at the same time. But because, obviously, the, like... Uh, the demographic of the group were super, like not very experienced in games they were very much like this is my idea for a game it's basically a movie that sometimes was a video game and it was the video game i don't know um but brian allegra himself had so much like good interesting things to say and i was like getting loaded up on anecdotes about the production of ratchet and clank like it started out as the game idea that they had at the time was called girl with a stick and it was just a girl with a stick and they were like this sucks let's do that, something different that's that's by the way some <laughs> some trivia some trivia uh -huh. that is the game that was codenamed i it and by the way okay. um i that uh code name i it was tied into uh, a, a girl with a stick mm -hmm. a girl with a stick was the code name for the closed multiplayer beta of resistance 2 really that's yes. really cool um but yeah, so they they decided that that they didn't want to make that because they, they just didn't have like a spark. Um, and then they came up with Ratchet and Clank, which started off as like, I think they did, they were like, they wanted some kind of like fuzzy mascot protagonist. And it was like a planet hopping adventure collecting gadgets and weapons, I think was like the tagline for mm. them pitching it to Insomniac. 
um and then they built it out from there and they had something where like every game i don't, I don't know if this, i don't think it's universal across all production everywhere but they have five pillars of design and then you have these five things and this is what makes the video game the video game and then i was this was 2018 so i only graduated like the year before and i was completely like oh starstruck um and i definitely like learned a lot from that because i'm an art director so i don't like I'm not like a writer or anything, but um, my opinion occasionally will get asked about um, narrative decisions and I storyboard and things for the, the game that we're working on to yeah. help help writers come up with things. Um, and that was massively helpful to me starting to understand um, the uniqueness of video games as a medium. Mm -hmm. um, which is interesting because I, I originally wouldn't have said that Ratchet & Clank was a game that made me want to make video games because um, to me... There was such like a disconnect between that was like a ludo narrative dissonance. There was such a disconnect between the gameplay mechanics and the story, mm -hmm. where it's just kind of like cutscene, gameplay, cutscene, gameplay. Um, uh, and then it was Undertale and Shadow of the Colossus, where I was like, they're so intertwined. They can be designed at the same time. Um, but then once I'd learned all of that and done some osmosis, and then went back and played the game as an adult, I was like, oh, okay, I see, I see, I understand now. So it was like hearing stuff that Brian Alger had said about the production of the games and then going back and playing like um, Quest for Booty, I c I've come to realize in hindsight was like kind of, it seems like it was a bit of an experiment between um, Tools of Destruction and A Crack in Time. Like there's some mechanics that weren't in Tools that were in A Crack in Time that they're kind of clearly working out the kinks for in Quest for Booty. Like they have like a wrench tether thing where you like can connect it to things um, and like pull, it's just like a whole other mechanical thing that the wrench didn't used to do that it mm. does in a crack in time um, that they were like working out the kinks for in Quest for Beauty. Um, but yeah, I, I told Brian Elgar that I was completely starstruck. He, I, I actually have a drawing of him, of, or by him, of Ratchet and Clank on my wall at home. Um, and he did a drawing of Nefarious as well that I gifted to my brother. Um, but he, told me this anecdote about Quest for Booty where he said, I, I was like, oh, Quest for Booty is my favorite game. I don't know why I said that. I think it's because I love Rusty Pete so much. It's like a pirate character who I think is one of the best character designs I've ever seen. Um, and he was like, he would told me about there's like um, a point in that game where a character gets stuck, like separated from you. Her name is Talon. Mm. And you, she'll be like, promise me you'll come back for her. For, you know, promise me you'll come back for me. And as Ratchet, you can be like, yeah, I promise. Or nah and it's like it was just i think that was you then. can bring that asshole yeah. ratchet back <laughs> yeah it's exactly yeah i could role play old school ratchet um but yeah no he said that that was just they wanted to start experimenting with like player choice and just kind of giving them the option to um express themselves and how they feel about something in the game um because the decision three games have or yeah they have that where you can interview characters and talk to them they have like some yes. procedural they'll give you lore and things um and you can make very small character decisions about how you interact with them and ask questions and i think that's pretty good and leans more into the rpg sort of thing that they were trying to go for mm. um but yeah he's mm. a really nice man he has a book called video game directing or how to be a good video game director or something and i have a copy and it's very good um, just to correct myself, I Go mentioned uh, Resistance 2 was I8. I was wrong, oh. but not, by, not by much. <laughs> Resistance Fall of Man is I8. I8, uh, so they would 
Insomniac would have a code mm-hmm. name uh, with each game. I and then yeah, the, that's really common. The, no, the number project that they would be on. So I8 mm-hmm. was Resistance Fall of Man. Resistance 1, not Resistance 2. But the a girl with a stick code name for the closed beta of Resistance, Resistance 2, <laughs> that is still very much correct. So I'll take a half one on that. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned it at the start of the episode um, how not you would not only play Ratchet and Clank, but also the likes of and mm-hmm. and your ball as well, Jack and Daxter, um, yes. like the sort of golden age of platformer games mm-hmm. on the PlayStation Two with Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and Clank. What Naughty Dog was putting out at the time, what Insomniac was putting out at the time, what what Sucker Punch was putting out at the time with um, Sly yeah. Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like talk to me a little bit about that because like it felt like like I said, it, it felt like such a golden age for platformers on yeah. that time, especially first party wise. Anyway, mm-hmm. I mean, I was I was pretty young at the time, so I definitely wouldn't have understood that it was any kind of golden age um i don't i don't even know why like they i i know that insomniac and lonnie dog did have a rivalry like a friendly one cause, yeah like, they had some crossover between staff and the staff would have known each other and they put little references to the other games in each game so like there were references to jack and dr and, and clank and vice versa um it's really cool i never played sly cooper so i i can't comment on that i did play infamous once by sucker punch but um i I think it was just really standard at the time for the kind of um, like graphics and things that you could do. So it just made sense for the PlayStation 1 and 2 era to have really, really um, stylized characters um, because you couldn't, you just couldn't do realism yet. Hmm. Um, but then it's just like, I don't see why you can't do more of that nowadays. There's no reason why not. Uh, and I guess there are like modern mascots. But they're mostly indie. Like you wouldn't get a lot of like AAA mascots. It's a sack boy count as a PlayStation mascot, I guess. But you've got like the little woolen guy from um, Unraveled. Mm. Maybe Unraveled, yeah. Um, but then in, on the indie side of things, you've got like Hollow Knight. Um, that kind of leans into that design sensibility and Ori in the blind blind forest. Mm. Um, they kind of I think indie has sort of taken over the doing appealing characters because it's a lot easier than doing hyper-realism because mm. you i think with the triple a games and studios you tend to find a lot of them are just trying to flex on the other ones and like compete for realism and graphics which i think is probably why i don't love the playstation 4 and 5 ratchet and clank i imagine they're getting pushed to put a certain amount of detail into it to be like this if it's cartoony you gotta make it worth our while to mm. make it cartoony um. Uh, I don't know. I personally would like to see some more platformers come back. Mm. <laughs> it's just so uncanny to sort of think back now on how these free first-party developers. By the way, at that time, Insomniac mm-hmm. and Sucker Punch weren't even official first-party studios at that time. It was just Naughty Dog. Like Insomniac and Sucker Punch were still independent. Mm-hmm. Um, like making these platformer games like Jack and Daxter, like Crash Bandicoot before Jack and Daxter with Naughty Dog, mm-hmm. before Ratchet and Clank, before Spyro with Insomniac, before um, Sly Cooper with um, uh, Sucker Punch. And now these free studios are basically under the same unit. They're no longer independent. They're proper, full-fledged, mm-hmm. first-party Sony studios, and they're making these realistic games like They've moved. They've moved on from. It's a massive tonal shift, anyway. Albeit a gradual one, anyway. Yeah, like or at Naughty least Dog's tonal shift was. Woo. Naughty Dog. Very not, Naughty Dog. Naughty Dog's tonal shift was admittedly very slow, from sort of Crash to yeah. Jack 
the Uncharted, The yeah. Last of Us. Whereas, I think the the one that had the most whiplash it mm-hmm. was Sucker Punch, because Sucker yeah. Punch had the the sort of comic style of Sly Cooper, or uh, not comic style, but like sort of cartoony style. Yeah. Whereas, and then the game after that was in, or the series after that was infamous. Yes. And that and that itself was comedy, but it was also very realistic in a way as well. Yeah, and then you see the sort of through line then after that with what they did with. Ghost of Tsushima, which mm-hmm. is very realistic, yeah, like inc- very. I have a lot of issues with Ghost of Tsushima um, uh, as a game. Full review and play areas uh, uh, <laughs> you can read on the site. But one of them was not sort of the art design and the lights. Mm-hmm. I think the, the I light, got light. an award for art design. Yeah, that? Uh, very recently too. I think it was um, IGDA something. Uh, it was an IGDA award. I think, mm-hmm. um, but. I think what I'm trying to get at in terms of Naughty Dog and Insomniac and Sucker Punch is their progression from those sort of yep. platformer days of Jack and Daxter, Ratchet and Clank and Sly Cooper to go on to things like Uncharted or The Last of Us, mm-hmm. Resistance and um, Spider-Man and now with Wolverine <laughs> and with uh, Sucker Punch with mm-hmm. Sly to Ghost of Tsushima is... It's Halicon days, basically, like long, mm-hmm. long forgotten days of what it was like back then. I, I, I think it's just sort of, I'm just sort of rambling a little bit, but just sort of also sort of... Reminiscing. Reminiscing, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. So I, I think there's no, uh, there's no point in what I'm saying, but I think I'm try- what I'm trying to get at is that it's, it's, it feels very different now to sort of reflect yeah, back on those games back 20 years ago like Jack and X and Ratchet and Clank and see what Naughty mm-hmm. Dog and Insomniac and the like they're doing now with uh, Spider-Man and The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that is very reflective of how the industry as a whole has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I do you, you do get some flagships at the moment that were always kind of the way that they were. Like, um, well, I suppose that's not necessarily true. I was, I'm thinking of God of War and the fact that they always had like the human characters and the dark tone and stuff, but obviously the gameplay changed massively. Um, and the, t- the massive like um story tonal shift that took um with the new games, mm. but um I think Insomniac has probably changed the least in that regard because like I mean the the entire time they've been like we have hero characters and they've obviously done some divergences and stuff like Resistance was a massive thing and they've done some VR stuff that was quite different, um and then I think they what they tried to do with Sunset Overdrive was combine this like fun quirky tone with <laughs> with like some realistic graphics <laughs> and everyone was like mm, we don't like that one <laughs> so then they they, they changed it again you <laughs> alter bastards who did not play sunset overdrive but i cannot believe i actually forgot about sunset overdrive and all that which I kind mean, of like, makes like it just kind of makes a point sort of uh, stands out yeah, even more quite forgettable but so I love Sunset Overdrive. Yeah. I really love it. I want a PS5 remaster mm-hmm. in Sonic. I, I think, I'm trying to remember, because I think um, in Yatsu's review of it, he said that, like, in Zero Punctuation, he made a, a comment about how, like, in Zomniac, um have this, like, trend of jokes that are, like, nerd bashing. <laughs> and, and apparently Sunset Overdrive did that a lot in, like, a really... Do you know the kind of people who play your games and so like, <laughs> Which I guess then makes sense for Ratchet's development, where like Ratchet was very much like a, I'm a I'm a jock, 
character, like where he would have made fun of the nerdy characters in the original games, and then in the next ones, he's like he literally calls himself a fanboy and has the exact opposite reaction mm. to other nerdy characters, where he's like, "I'm a nerd too," and it's like, I don't like you can have characters dislike each other. It's okay, <laughs> um, but I think the problem is if you're speaking directly to the player. And being like, haha, nerd. Then it's like, mm, don't do that. Don't do that. Nerd! <laughs> yeah, it's like, I can't. Home, Homer's shutting out of the window. Nerd! <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you've given us money to play our video game, you nerd. It's like, mm, <laughs> I, can, I can make a different decision next time. <laughs> uh, but by the way, like, mm. now that we've, um, this was done in between seasons five and this current one, but. Insomniac teasing that inclusion of the Sunset Overdrive mascot as part of the promotion for Ratchet and Clank Rift oh, Apart. Did they really do that? They did that. do that, and I was just like, <laughs> "You are playing the dirtiest." No, not not the dirtiest. You're playing the most dangerous of teasers yeah. here. I I I don't imagine anyone that worked on any of the video games agreed to that decision. That that seems like a like a Sony decision of Sony being like here this thing didn't do it very well plug it and then they're gonna be like but people like Ratchet and Clank are you sure we should talk about Sunset Overdrive like I uh, I think there was a good reception yet anyway like um and Drew Murray who uh directed uh Sunset Overdrive I think was Mm -hmm. he directed directed it anyway like he was at um the not the coalition um the, the the what's the what's the bloody new Microsoft studio I have no idea. I, I, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's on, uh, um, I'm, I have a bloody message, about, uh, not a message about this. I have a bloody page about this on Play Diaries. Um, Xbox Game Studios. The Initiative, that's the it. Initiative. The Initiative, that's it. And he was, uh, I think, leading the project on Perfect Dark. Mm-hmm. And he just came back to Insomniac and he's now on Wolverine. Mm-hmm. But I would have to imagine that to uh, like, surely there will be a, a a game at some point on. Um, there will be a game at some point on. No, no, I'm re- repeating myself at this point. I would have to imagine there will be a, at least a remaster of Sunset Overdrive on you PlayStation so? Five on PlayStation Four. I would have to imagine that there would be just. I like, actually have no idea how well Sunset Overdrive did. <laughs> I would imagine it didn't do very well because otherwise we would have gotten a sequel. Mm. Um, but I would reckon that, in the same way, Remedy is finally bringing Alan Wake to PlayStation. Alan Wake. <laughs> I feel like we're going to get to an honorable mention here, but like we'll get to that at some point. But like, um, Sunset Overdrive, I, I, I would have to imagine. I would have to imagine there'll be a remaster of some sort uh, at some point. Maybe the gauge. Maybe the gauge. Maybe to gauge an interest in a, in a sequel. But that's just my line of thinking anyway. But anyway. Anyway, um, to bring up my notes again, because I have spent too long trying to think up of what the name the actual studio is from Xbox that is the initiative. Um, back to Ratchet and Crank. Because yes. um, we massively that, That's died. what we're here to talk about, isn't that? <laughs> there is a... a Seven years I've been doing this, and I'm going to say, but I digress a ton over the years. I'll say I digress a ton over the years, and I'll keep saying it even beyond this season. Um, so, Ratchet and Crank, uh, the newer ones, um, 2016. Um, you've talked about it a few times, but like 
let's let's tell a little bit further like oh well, we haven't talked about 2016 i just remembered is the the film <laughs> they made a movie yeah he did so and i know from so it's basically ratchet and clank the movie based yes. on ratchet and clank no 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 sorry sorry yeah, yeah, ratchet yeah. and clank the game that's in ratchet and clank 2016 the game based on ratchet and clank the movie yes. based on ratchet and clank the original 2002 game. yeah i cannot believe this entire time i've completely forgot about the movie <laughs> yeah i know because that's another thing from the brian Algar talk they were basically handed a movie script that was written by movie people and being like here you go you've got 10 months to make a game it's not long enough, but I think it was extended, but I think the circumstances of production on that game were not ideal. And I remember, because I did, oh, shamefully, I did watch the movie. Um, and what did you think of it? I thought it was not very good. <laughs> Be honest, yes. It was just like, it's like, it doesn't work, especially because like there was some crossover between the movie and the film. Or the, some movie, the movie and the game, there was crossover where they had some scenes that were in the movie that were used as cutscenes in the game. And I don't know which of them was first, but there's like certain parts of like you can tell which are from the movie, both from the rendering quality, but also um, in the game, it'll have a wee icon that says this is blocked scene. Like you can't record this because it's from the movie. You don't have the rights to record it. Um, but it's just so... It's pants. <laughs> Because it doesn't stand on its own legs as a film because they sanded off all of the edges that were interesting about the original story. Mm. So it's like there's no character arc for Ratchet at all whatsoever. Cl why is Clank even there? Who are the members of the Q-Force? I don't know. Does, like the Q-Force is a thing that they took over from the third game. But every member of the Q-Force was an NPC that you'd met before and had an established relationship with. Mm. I don't know who anyone was in the movie or the film. Uh, I say the movie or the film, the movie or the game. Mm. They had this, they have this quirks Avengers, I guess. They, they just don't, they're nothing. They're not characters. They don't do anything. They don't say anything. They don't have any opinions. Um, and again, it's all very like quirk centric, which I think is kind of a weakness. Um, and they do this. This is the thing that they do in obviously both the game and the film. But it, they do this fun switcheroo where they're like, hey, the this is a spoiler, but it's been out a while. <laughs> they, they have two villains where they have Chairman Drek, who's the villain of the first game. And then they also have Dr. Nefarious, who's the villain of several games. And we've, we've seen a lot of Dr. Nefarious, but I guess if this is aimed at kids, they probably haven't played any, many of the other games. They probably don't know who it is. But they have this switcheroo where Chairman Drac gets turned into a sheep and blasted onto his own planet. And then you never see him again. Ever. He's gone. Doesn't matter. New villain is Dark Nefarious. And it's like, that's not very good. That didn't have any impact whatsoever on the main characters. Mm. And it's not good for a movie. And it's worse for a game because you didn't fight Drac. You didn't talk to him. You didn't do anything. And then you just have to fight Dark Nefarious. And everyone's kind of like, who? Who is this? And I think maybe, because the third game had, essentially you had to go and get Captain Quark to fight Nefarious because Quark and Nefarious had history. And then you played these little mini games to learn the backstory of what the history was. Mm. But I think in this one, they're trying to establish that Ratchet is going to be the character that has the history with Dr. Nefarious. And um, because they, his, his backstory is that he's an alien that gets 
turned into a robot. Mm. And so in the reboot, it's the alien version, and then in Rift Apart, he's back. He's the, it's the robot version, mm. um, because he is the villain of a crack in time, um, which is like oh, stuck in Ferris again. He's like he's a fun villain for the third game, and then he's fun to come back again to be like oh, it's recognition. I know who that is, but then <laughs> he's still here. Stuck in Ferris must be a new pillar of design for Ratchet and Clank. <laughs> Ratchet must be in it Clank must be in it Quirk yes. must be in it and now Nefarious must be in it well he was in in the flipping in the multiplayer games for PlayStation 3 you had four players and it was Ratchet, Clank uh, Quirk and Nefarious and it was like you've got a whole bunch of other characters you could use instead no it's not Nefarious which I guess is fine like it's a really good trope I think to have villains that then turn into allies um, even like even if it's like a reluctant ally situation, because there's your conflict, and that's good storytelling if you can pull it off. Um, but it's just, it didn't affect the game. It didn't affect the main characters in any way. Ratchet's character arc in the reboot and in the movie is that a planet gets blown up because he fails a mission, and then he's sad about it for like five minutes, and then flipping Clank is like, yeah, but. By the way, we managed to evacuate everyone from the planet that got blown up, so it's fine. And then Ratchet's like, okay! And then they go back, and that doesn't... Like, there's no gameplay. It's a cutscene that goes into another cutscene that goes into another cutscene, and then you're back doing the same thing you were doing in the first place. I feel like <laughs> I feel like there should be a camera where we're sitting right now, and then just to say, um, uh, Clank tells Ratchet, well, we saved everyone off the planet that we basically blew up. We're like, yeah. okay! And then we just turn to the camera, just go thumbs up, and then it's super cheery, super duper <laughs> music goes, da 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 That's kind of what happens. It's just like, they have this, like kind of serious thing happen and then they immediately undercut the seriousness of it by being like oh it's okay nobody died they all get evacuated like there's no consequences and it affects the gameplay slightly because it's a planet that you used to be able to go to and you can't go there anymore because it's been blown up but that's still like it's not that important to story. <laughs> And then you go and you fight talking to Ferris and then Ratchet's like, I've never met this person in my life and I have to fight them now. Like, there's no vendetta, there's nothing. Like, the in the first game, Ratchet fights Drek because he, well, first of all, it starts out as like, a, I'm going to be a hero by fighting Drek because this little robot man has told me he's bad. Okay. Um, and they go to get Captain Quark and ask Captain Quark to fight because they think they're going to get rewarded. Um, Captain Quark obviously turns out to be the worst. Then Ratchet's motivation changes to getting revenge on Quark. And then once he's got his revenge on Quark, he's like, mm, okay, um, I guess I'll do the right thing now and go again after Drek. And then they find out that Drek is planning to destroy Ratchet's planet. And then that's motivation. The villain is doing something that is directly affecting the main character. And that's good storytelling. <laughs> but just like fighting some guy that they don't, they don't even know who he is. <laughs> Who's Dr. Nefarious? Nobody knows. Okay. <laughs> people who used to, like, they're kind of relying on play, people who've played the old games to know who, who Dr. Nefarious is. But then it's like, why would you do that if we already know who he is? Like, all of the story thing that you're setting up and changing, I'm assuming, is to benefit new players. They don't know who he is, though. Mm. Who's this for? <laughs> I don't know. Oh dear, that that just feels like bad design in a way. It's I, uh, it it kind of is, but I think it's a consequence of being rushed. 
And I also think it's probably a consequence of being like, we need to set this up as a new franchise for the new generation, the new Kitty Winks that maybe didn't play the old games because PlayStation 2 is in the bin now. We you have to we have to make a new one to get money out of the children, um, and then it obviously didn't do well enough to to get more sequels until Rift Apart. Mm. Um, but at least Rift Apart, I was so excited when I saw the trailer for Rift Apart because I I I was reading about the PlayStation Five and the fact that its whole thing rather than just being like a a bigger stronger graphics machine, its thing was that it could take like packets of data and load them really quickly, mm. and then Patch and Clank was using that as a mechanic with the Dimensioner, where you had this kind of like slingshot thing that would pull you into portals and in the middle of a level you would be in different levels and I was like that's really cool and interesting um, and it looked really good and there were some allusions to stuff from previous games like there were the thugs for less um, which are like these kind of like crocodile dudes from the second game and they had pirates which were always my favorite part of maybe that's right my my toxic trait is that I really like pirates um, they <laughs> I really liked them from the uh, PlayStation 3 games um, and they had allusions to them in the trailer and I, I know that they're in the game and then they had obviously the reveal of the female Lombax where everyone lost their minds and they were fan art in five seconds on Twitter <laughs> half of which came from Jess I actually didn't I did one I did one fan art of, of Rivet and that was it wow I thought, I thought you did more no the rest of it is just my OC <laughs> Which is way more embarrassing, but that's <laughs> just the Fair way enough. that it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned Rift Apart there, so we don't have to go over that because you don't have a PS5, but you mentioned it yeah, in part there. Yeah, I've never played it, but I liked the trailer. I've heard some good reviews. It's really good. It's really good what I played of it anyway. It's really good with what I played of it anyway. I just think Ratchet could stand to be meaner. <laughs> that's my opinion. <laughs> He just reverts back to being an asshole. Well, he needs somewhere to grow, is the thing. Just to grow a spine. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, he has an anti-character arc and gets worse. Mm. <laughs> no, no, there's something. You can have that tip for free, Insomniac. Um, what else do you like about Ratchet and Clank that we've not talked about here? Ooh, what else do I like? Um, we've mostly talked about style and a lot of story stuff. Um... Hmm. I need to think about that. There are lots of things that I like, even though it might not sound like I like the game, given <laughs> the way that I've been talking. Um, hmm. I'm really struggling to think of anything else that we haven't talked about already. Um... I don't know. I think we need more video games again that have a duo as the main characters. I think it's really interesting and fun to watch two players, two characters play off each other um, and also have them have individual mechanics that interact with each other and throughout the game you will have them separated so that you don't have that mechanic for a bit hmm. and I think that's really interesting and we should do that more. <laughs> that's, I guess, the only thing. To which I suggest Titanfall 2 to an extent, Ooh, I think. I've never played Titanfall 2. Titanfall 2 is amazing. Single There's play. lots of games I haven't played Sing before. <laughs> single play. The Last of Us does it re really well as well. Last of Us yeah. Part 1, anyway. The Last of Us does have that. Yeah. Um, and Bioshock and Although when, when, well. yeah, when Ellie and Joel are together, they don't really have like mechanical benefits, mm. really. Like Joel, Ellie will like throw a brick sometimes, but... Um, 
I think it's just like the difference between playing as Joel and playing as Ellie is kind of interesting. Yeah, like if I if I keep on this too long, I'm going to turn this episode basically into Last of Us again. But you can already <laughs> listen to it elsewhere on the site. But basically, um, it feels like they they use the term again tonal shift, like playing mm-hmm. as Joel in the Last of Us Part One. Um, like you feel that sort of coldness from him, mm-hmm. whereas with Ellie, that's starting to appear a little bit as well. That sort of jaded yeah. cynicism a little bit, but there's still that element of the kid Ellie in her mm-hmm. as you start out in winter, and for all intents and purposes, that's extinguished by the end of that section of the game mm-hmm. with David, and um. And that was that was the moment where Last Last of Us became my favorite game, mm-hmm. um, because of just how brutal it was, and just how mm-hmm. much it extinguished Ellie's childhood right then and there yeah. because of trying to deal with David. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, like you say, it feels like there there are definitely unique differences in playing as both of them anyway, at least in part one. Mm-hmm. And then Joel gets a golf club whacked at a head. Sure does. He sure does. <laughs> no pomp and circumstance for that one. No pomp and circumstance. He's he's a shoe in for the Ryder <laughs> Cup as a golf ball. <laughs> um, what don't you like about Ratchet and Clank? Um, I think I've talked about that a lot. Um, although I did just the way that you were talking about last bus there did make me think of another thing that I did like, which is that I think that the way that initially for the first set of games. The way that the story progressed, I think, is pretty nice. Where, like, initially, they were, um, the, you know, they, they had their very, their kind of boilerplate story of just kind of, like, characters becoming heroes. We don't know that much about the characters. And then, um, like, obviously, they had their development and stuff, but then the PlayStation 3 games took the opportunity to really get into the backstories and, like, their origins and things like that, which I think is really nice. And I think the best place for it to have gone. Um, but then, I don't know. Ratchet Gladiator was a divergence. <laughs> it was a game at the end of the PlayStation 2 era that um, Brian Elgar said that they all had like played Halo and were like, let's make Ratchet and Clank Halo and it didn't work. Because um, it was like, you can't have Ratchet and Clank, it's no Clank, which is what it was. Um, it was just Ratchet Gladiator. Because mm. um, like, I mean, even in Jack and Daxter, you go from Jack and Daxter to Jack to in Jack 3, but it's like, Daxter's still there and he never had any mechanical significance anyway. He's just comic relief. Um, and like the driver of the story and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but like the gameplay is entirely different for Gladiator, which I think is why for the PlayStation 3 games, they were like, let's play it safe and go back to formula and focus on the characters and the character development and really explore that. And I think they did that really well. Um, and then in future games, I think they sort of lost the plot a little bit. Mm. Um, I don't like the way that Ratchet and Clank treats female characters. <laughs> if that's a thing that I want to get into. Which is that they're just kind of disposable and forgettable. And it's just kind of like, here's the token woman. Um, the first game doesn't have any like prominent female characters at all. Um, the second one obviously has Angela. And Angela's gone. And then the third game has Sasha. And then Sasha's gone. And then um, in the new ones, they have Talwin for like the... Yeah, Talwin's in the trilogy. Um, and then they kind of forget about her again. Um, in all of the like multiplayer versions of the games. So there, that's kind of pants. <laughs> um, my my partner, his favorite character is Ophelian, the ship, 
mm. um, with the personality because he love AI, he loves AIs and ships and robots and things, and he was just like so upset that Aphelion just got she got blown up in one of the games and he was so devastated because <laughs> he was like that was a character and they're just like oh the ship's gone, but she had a personality and stuff and they kind of didn't really acknowledge that. Never mind that like Clank is a robot mm. that has a personality, so it's like. There's some weird funky rules with what counts as a character and what doesn't mm. um, and their treatment of that. Um, mm. I think that's the only other thing. Because like, as, like, as a girl, I was like, oh, there's no fun female characters really for me to aspire to. Mm. The best female character in Magic Clank is Helga. <laughs> She's the personal trainer. <laughs> she, I think she calls you like a little worm or something. She's really mean to you. It's great. Wow. <laughs> Um, what would you change from a design perspective then? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I think that for a game that calls itself, well, it calls itself an action adventure, which is very vague, um, with RPG elements, I'm like, you could do a little bit more with the RPG elements, I think. Um, which I don't know if Rift Apart does better, because you have, you've got not one, but two ratchets. You know, you've got multiple characters that you're playing with, which I think might have the potential for a slightly more of an RPG sort of thing. But I think the only thing that is RPG is the um, upgrading weapons. Um, <clears throat> but anything that I would change? Um, I don't know. If it were me, I'd like maybe... Um, have some meaner characters to sort of have lean lean more on like an ensemble cast that you actually get to know um and have them interact with the gameplay a little bit more um, and just have, have just have more diverse behaviors and sort of yeah. trinkets of who they are yeah than just being you know sort of uh happy or angry basically yeah i think um and i think i would have more um like I would have Ratchet Clank be slightly more different characters so that you have that tension and interaction again mm. where it's like sometimes they might not want to work together but they have to um, I think that's a really fun space to play around with design wise um, I think that's mostly it <laughs> there probably is other stuff that I would think of um, but I think that's mostly it I definitely would be like make this more of a game to do with the like duo thing and make that more of a mechanic and more of a story focus hmm. how, how do you think they would go about doing that anyway um i mean a good start would be to make ratchet an asshole again <laughs> but i think having them have different motivations um and having those motivations directly affect the gameplay and like you know you might have a level where they split up on purpose because there's not, not necessarily for necessity's sake, like usually what they do is they send Clank into somewhere where Ratchet can't breathe because he's organic. Um, or you put Clank goes into the vent, there he goes. Um, so I think having that being slightly more story driven so that like mechanical, there are mechanical consequences for the story, I think would, would be fun. Um, I don't know if, if you wanted to like be more RPG, like actually have choices affect the game. I don't know if that would change it too much though, and it wouldn't be a Ratchet and Clank game anymore if you have choices that lead to like branching. Eh, this is getting really complicated. Um, I actually quite like the simplicity of like the linear story and just kind of following it, um, and like being involved in the character development, but not necessarily staring at yourself. 
And that would be an entirely different game, I think. <laughs> um, so, top three Ratchet and Clank games. What would they be? Ooh. Obviously, number one would be the first game, I would imagine. I think so. Ra- that I think, not even necessarily because it's the best one, but it's the one that like had the most impact mm. and influence on me. Mm. Um, next would be... Hmm... Probably Tools of Destruction, which is the first of the PlayStation 3 games. And then I think A Crack in Time. Um, I do. I really like Quest for Booty, but A Crack in Time, I think, is the objectively the best game, like, mechanically. And it, it's the one that, like, perfected the Ratchet and Clank formula um, and has a really intriguing story, gets into Ratchet's backstory, gets into Clank's backstory, gets in there really good. Um... And then has those backstories play off each other really well as well. So, like, you have a character from Ratchet's past that tries to take advantage of um, a character from Clank's past, where it's, like, the great clock that controls all of, like, time and space. This character tries to hijack that. Um, and it's really interesting. That's actually a time where the boss switcheroo actually works because it's someone you didn't expect to have to fight. Um, and it's really, like, emotional and interesting. And it's it's got a lot of impact. So I think that's definitely like objectively the best one, but not necessarily my favorite. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and just out of sheer curiosity on my part, um, mm-hmm. top three Insomniac games, what would they be? Ratchet, obviously Ooh. top. Top three Insomniac games? Um, yeah, well, Ratchet and Clank is my favorite for sure. Um, yeah, this is, this is a purely emotional reason, reasoning. Um, and then it would be Spyro. Because I really, really enjoyed the remaster, and then it would be Resistance, for the fact that just the the memories I have of playing the co-op with my brother, not because it's a good game, but because there was like there was like a year where I was in school where there was just like snow all the time, so my brother and I would walk to the bus station, get told our buses weren't going, and then walk back home in the snow, and then like take our duvets downstairs and sit in the living room and play Resistance together, eating pot noodle. And that's the reason that that's on the list. <laughs> Purely emotional, entirely because of that, not because of the game itself. I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm a bit surprised, not because of mm-hmm. uh, Resistance being there. But, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, 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 putting, I'm putting my foot down, I'm going to state this for the record, Resistance 2 is a better game than it deserves uh, flag for. I will stand by that game to the heat death of the fucking universe mm-hmm. uh-huh. I, I can't even comment on spider-man though because i know it's very good but i myself have only played it very briefly that's so. why i'm surprised so i about spider-man <laughs> yeah no it, i just haven't played it enough to say no fair enough um but i i I, I will reiterate resistance 2 deserves a lot more credit than it does <laughs> fucking flack justice for resistance justice for resistance 2 justice for nathan hale
I have talked about some of them already. I talked about Undertale and Shadow of the Colossus, the two main games that were like, I want to make video games because my brain finally understood what a video game was. By the way, can I just point out something? <laughs> Shadow of the Colossus, uh, I mentioned the the after party at the, no- yeah. uh, the NI Game Awards. Uh-huh. I honestly thought she was going to say uh, Shadow of the Colossus that night and I was just like, I'll give you an episode right here, right now, if you t- if you tell me your favorite game is Shadow of the Colossus, because oh. we've never done Team Eco before. Nobody's done that before. Nobody's done Team oh. Eco. We've not talked Eco. That's we've not talked uh, well, Shadow of the Colossus. I haven't played Eco, but I have played The Last Guardian. Um, I didn't finish it, but I. Oh my God! Jess, finish it. <laughs> I will. I played it for like, I had several days when it first came out, and I think I got like two thirds the way through the game, and then I never finished it. Oh <laughs> no! I was so excited. For Last Guardian, I was was so excited because I just thought it was so interesting the way, the idea that like the AI of the creature would develop as you would go along, and then like five minutes into the game, the creature at me, and I didn't play the game for two days because I was so annoyed. <laughs> I was like, I'm so betrayed, and then I went, eventually went back to it, and I was like, okay, I'm willing to make amends <laughs> because I knew that like you don't get on, Alishley, and. Then, <laughs> You know, you have to earn the trust of the, of the creature. Um, but uh, I think, maybe if I finish that, it'll it'll have a higher place on my list. But I, I've loved the premise, but then it had those janky Team Eagle controls. It was so janky. And you would just trip over yeah. uneven floor surfaces, and I was like, mm-hmm. Um, and it was the same thing. It's like playing Shadow of the Colossus. I found out about Shadow of the Colossus 3, like watching Let's Plays, and... I remember getting the game, it was the remaster for the PlayStation 3, and like playing it in front of my friends for the first time and like not being able to get in the horse. Because <laughs> they're just, the, the anim- so the animation in Shadow of the Classes and I some other Team Eagle games are, it's um, physics driven, like it's it's not, like it's the character reacting to stuff around mm. him and I, I'm assuming they have some light stuff but I don't even think it's, it's barely keyframed. So it's super like rubbery. It's it's like it's like those inflatable arm men. <laughs> wavy, like. wavy inflatable arm yeah, wavy tube. That's now. what it's like trying to control a character in 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 Team Eco game. Um, so I spent like ten minutes trying to get my dumb horse, um, before I finally even like got to a Colossus. But ended up really enjoying the game. It was really nice. Um, uh, other animal mentions. Uh, Undertale. I gave an animal mention because it definitely was like oh mechanics, and it was. Like that game, like, is super meta and uses the meta to like fight you and teach you lessons and things, and it remembers things. And I was like, I didn't even know video games could do that. But I know there are now that I know more about games. I know there are games that have have done similar things. Um, and I, it was just so characterful. I regret to admit that I did read Homestuck. So like, whenever I first played Undertale, the tone and the writing and stuff reminded me a lot of that, which is very tongue in cheek, very clever and witty, um, and again, super characterful. Um, and the way that it develops your relationship with those characters is really, really good. Um, I never had the heart to play Genocide Run. I couldn't do it. I finished the game, I did the pacifist run, and then after I like went to play it like a couple months later again, and then like Flowey popped up in the menu and was like, everybody's happy, would you really want to reset the game and put them underground again? And I was like, oh, why have you done this to me? <laughs> so I couldn't play it again out of guilt. <laughs> I was like, Toby Fox, why do you not want me to play your video game? Um, and saying that, my Deltarune. 
Delta and chapter two is just been, is out today. It's out. It's been out. Yesterday? It's been out for a few hours. As a what time is it now? It's oh, it's pretty exciting. Tw- Twelve hours. Twelve mm-hmm. hours as a recording us. I loved Delta and chapter one. Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was such a good um successor to Undertale, and I loved the like party mechanics, and I loved the new combat stuff. Um, I thought that was really good. Um, and. I'm really excited. I need to go and play the, the second one actually. Um, but yeah, other games. Um, I recently played Spirit Fire, which I liked until the end, and then I was like, I don't like the way I look, and that spoiled the whole experience for me. Um, you've talked about Oxenfree before. Yes. Um, I I loved Oxenfree again, but again, I I had beef with the ending where I was like, I'm not exactly sure what your morals are here and what you're expecting me to do, but I really enjoyed playing it. Um, and there's actually a bunch of other Night School Studio games that I want to play but haven't, like the Devil Drinking Game. After Party. After Party, and then the, the Next Stop Nowhere, um, which I looked at the concept art for a lot um, last year whenever we were doing some Wrath of prototyping on some sci-fi games. I was like, these are really cool. They're like um, space Volkswagen buses. <laughs> I thought they were really nice. Um, so I've played a lot of Stardew Valley. I love Stardew Valley. Whenever I was studying, um, when I was in my final year of university and I was like depressed and like in the city and like overworked, I was like, I'll just play Stardew Valley and it'll make me feel better. And it did. Um, and Stardew Valley is an interesting one because I think it takes people a really long time to get into. Mm. But once you do, focus on character stuff because that makes the game really nice. Again, um, it's got really good character progression, um, but you have to work really hard for it, which I feel is like you have to work a little bit too hard for it. Um, Skyrim. I did say I played a lot of Skyrim. <laughs> I did play a lot of Skyrim. Um, it's I definitely agree with like most criticisms of it, which is that it's like it's not very deep. There's other um Sky there's other Elder Scrolls games that have a lot more depth and intrigue. Um, and Skyrim is just kind of very surface level in comparison. Mm. But I tried to play Oblivion, and I couldn't get over how every time you talk to a character, it zooms way in on their wee potato faces, <laughs> and I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't. I don't need to be that close. I can't. I can't do it. So, so I, I, I just gifted it to my friend instead because it was his favorite game. So I was like, here you go. Um, and The Witcher. I love The Witcher Three. I haven't played the other two. I love The Witcher Three. I thought the story for that was really, really good because I really like Geralt's character. Um, I really enjoyed that it was like he's just kind of he's like always doing the right thing, but grumpily. I really liked that, and the fact that there is a lot of player choice in that game. Hmm. Um, but I definitely felt for certain choices. <laughs> I actually stopped playing The Witcher because I got too stressed out over the romance choices. <laughs> where I told both Triss and Yennefer that I loved them because I felt in both cutscenes, I was like, I'm being guilted here. I'm being guilted. Triss was my favorite. I liked Triss better. Maybe I would like, I mean, since the show, I like Yennefer a lot, but I didn't like her in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I, I can't choose. I'm so stressed. Because um, I felt very much like the game was like, whatever way they animated Geralt and they did the voice acting, I was just like, Geralt wants to say yes. So <laughs> it, was a bit, um, it was a bit of a spicy game. Um, any other games recently? Oh, um, I haven't played it yet, but Portal... I did some research into, I was very unfamiliar with Portal and Portal 2 um, until I was referencing it for some art direction stuff from a game that we were working on. And not the game that's 
gun did. Kevlarton. It's very different. Um, but I was referencing it for um, some art direction stuff, so I just watched like a playthrough of it, and I was like, mm, okay, I get why people like this game. Because <laughs> it was just so good. Um, the second one, obviously, very um, a bit of a step up from the first one, but I thought that the story and the framing was really good. The relationship between you and the characters was really good. Like, the fact that you had history with GLaDOS and it, they did that thing of like you have to work with the villains to achieve your goal I think they did that splendidly and obviously Valve are very good at their environmental storytelling type stuff and um, I thought that was very good and I was like oh well, okay Valve's good <laughs> Portal good um, and what else honourable mentions there was one honourable mention I think we were going to allude to earlier that we did allude to earlier mm-hmm. Alan Wake Alan Wake my experience with Alan Wake is kind of Limited and Mimi, <laughs> which is that I watched um I watched my ex boyfriend play it for a long time and um he kept getting frustrated at the like how pants your stamina is and then he kept having to be like, you know what I'm a writer it makes sense that my stamina isn't very good and it was just like the flashlight and stuff so it's just my experience of Alamek is very limited but I just think it's so silly it's so like melodramatic um and I think that's kind of campy and fun. Um, so I don't, I don't know enough about it to comment on it, but oh. I do, I, <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> oh, great, fair enough. Um, any other games? I suppose Jack and Daxter. I really like Jack and Daxter. Mm. Um, I think if I were to, like, directly compare Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and Clank, obviously Ratchet and Clank is my baby, but I think Jack and Daxter has a lot of really fun stuff in it. Um, its animation is better than Ratchet and Clank's. Ratchet and Clank has, is better looking model wise and things like that. But um, like the Jack and Daxter models are so weird. They're like really tarry and they do lots of squash and stretch and stuff, which is, makes sense for the style. And it looks really good in gameplay, but looks pants and cutscenes. Um, but obviously the Gunline Job carried that forward and they're very good at animation still. Um, that was great. And the massive tonal shift between Jack and Daxter and Jack 2 was completely wild because I remember whenever Jack 2 came out I was younger than 12 so my mum was like mm, I don't know if you can play that game and we were like ah but it's the same we really like the first one um so there was like a bit of parent playing Jack and Dax- Jack 2 before we were allowed to play it to see if it was okay and it was like oh but Daxter says piss in the first cutscene <laughs> so I don't know but um yeah that was very good what other games have I played? I don't remember. I think that's a good list I think as it that's is. A, that's a pretty substantial list. Yeah. Uh, it is a pretty substantial <laughs> list as it is. Um, top three games ever. What would they be? Ratchet and Clank at the top. Ooh, what would yeah. be two and three? Um, Ratchet and Clank. Undertale Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, wow. Yeah. The reason, uh, the re- reason I say a wow here for mm-hmm. anyone else is because I honestly thought Shadow Classes would be second. Yeah. Um, I just think that there's Undertale is a lot more like my style in regards to like characters and stuff. There's mm. not really a lot of characters in Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> um, but I do think it's like Shadow of the Colossus is very slick. It's like a perfect packet of an experience. There's nothing extra, nothing extraneous. Um, and I think that's really good. But controls are ass, and <laughs> um, Undertale just does a lot more of the like humor and stuff that I enjoy. Oh, Breath of the Wild. 
Oh, I love Breath of the Wild. That's all. I, that's it. That's the one that I. Oh no, no, no! You, you had a few <laughs> seconds to talk about Breath of the Wild. But... Sorry, I was like, I'm trying to remember another one because I love the Switch. I have the Switch. Um, I love Breath of the Wild because that was my first. My first ever game was technically Spirit Tracks, um, because I didn't grow up with any of them. Um, but Breath of the Wild is I I loved I loved it I loved exploring. It was my first ever like sandboxy type game, um, and I loved the freedom, of how to do things and encounters mm. um i thought the story was oh it was pretty good um but it's i, I really like breath of the wild where you can probably find my work. Um, I am Jess and I on social medias, um, on Twitter and on Instagram. And hopefully there will be a pretty fun announcement on the Coffee Block side of things really soon. I don't want to say anything in case I get in trouble, but um, we will be announcing um, our, our upcoming game pretty soon, which is already well known anyway, but a proper announcement. So pretty exciting. <laughs> Thanks for listening to My Favourite Game, a podcast by PlayDiaries.com where people from the games industry come on to talk of their favourite game. If you want to listen to future episodes of My Favourite Game, as well as press play before they go live publicly on PlayDiaries and other podcast platforms, please consider becoming a $2 tier podcast early access patron to our Patreon at patreon.com slash playdiaries. Next week, Colm Larkin on Baldur's Gate. Until next week, bye-bye.